So today we're in the last of our uh, resolution series, the last sermon. And we said at the beginning uh, of this series, as well as the beginning of a year, people tend to ask questions that, that deal with self-improvement. How can I get bigger, faster, stronger, healthier, wealthier, wiser? All of those things. We tend to ask those questions. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those questions, but who is the focus of those questions? Me. Thanks, Lee. Lee and I are talking today. All right, hang on. I got to get this. All right, we'll see if that holds. Um, There's a bigger question that we're asking in this series, and the bigger question is what needs to be done around me? If you want 2017 to be better than last year, you need to ask what breaks my heart. You need to look around and say, what is it I can't stand in the world? And then you need to decide to do something to make someone's world a better place. It's not so much about making you a better person. You want to be a better person, make the world a better place, and then you'll be a better person. How many of you have seen the the series that Leah Remini is doing called Scientology, The Aftermath or whatever? Anybody seen that? Leah was a young girl when she got into Scientology, and Janie and I have been watching every episode. We, we uh, record them. I'm, I'm always interested in other world religions and, and looking at things. And so Leah was, was in it. She promoted it, and then she got out. She saw that people were getting hurt. She got out. She, started, she wrote a book about it. Then she started talking to other people who'd gotten out, and she started realizing that all of their stories were very similar. So she started doing this series. I think it's on A&E. But anyway, she started doing this series where she's going around, she's interviewing people who have been in Scientology, who got out, and who were their lives were made a living hell because of the Church of Scientology. And the more she gets these stories, they're very shocking to hear what the church has done to them. And, um, and so... She has been interviewing these people, and goodness, this is going to drive me nuts today. My ears are kind of small. I guess I need bigger ears. Wow. All right, there we're going to try it again. It's going to fall off again. Anyway, the more she interviews people, the more she gets upset because she realizes that the church is destroying people simply to protect their empire, not to try to help other people. And so she said, I'm not stopping. And in fact, the last episodes that we saw that was, that was taped, she was going to go to lawyers. She and another guy that had been very high for 46 years, he'd been in Scientology. They were going to go to lawyers and see if they could do something about what this church had been doing. Now I tell you this because if you watch the series, you'll see that Leah Remini is not a Christian. At least she doesn't have the same vocation vocabulary that Christians tend to have. Um, but, but I tell you this because you don't have to be a Christian to ask what needs to be done around me. You don't have to do that. You don't have to be a Christ follower to make the world a better place. But if you are a Christ follower, then you don't have an option. We're just going to have to go with this thing over here. I don't know if it's going to come forward. All right. Wow. Never mind. That one won't either. All right. We just have to get through it today and figure out something else. So you don't have to be a Christ follower to, to make the world a better place. But if you are a Christ follower, you have to, you have to do something to help others. Otherwise, you're not truly a Christ follower. Uh, in, in our church, I kind of mentioned some folks last week whose hearts were broken. They started ministries. One of the ministries we have is, is uh, the landing on Tuesday nights. Brandy has been through Celebrate Recovery. And she looked around and one of the things that broke her heart was that teenagers did not have a safe place to get healing. The key is to get healing from their hurts, their habits 
habits and their hangups. So Brandy started the landing for teenagers and she and her team provide this safe place every Tuesday night where teenagers can come and they can learn how to be healed from the stuff that's happened to them. And so every once in a while she'll send me a text and she sent a text this week about some incredible things that God did. She's so excited. She's so in awe that God had used her to make a difference in this world. Um, you know that we have this hearts in motion ministry, him ministry, and it's where we give food away to folks in need. And so Brian and, and Charlotte Swallow, they started this ministry years ago. They just started giving food away. They started looking around their house. They said, we got more than we need. They started hearing about people who needed food and they would just put boxes together anonymously and, and make sure those people got that food. They came to me a couple of years after they'd been at the church. They said, is this something the church would want to do? We just find it unacceptable that people in our society don't have food. And so we started this hymn ministry. And I can't even tell you how many thousands of dollars New Life has given away in foods and gift cards to people who go through uh, like their house burns down or they, they lose a job or whatever it is. We don't even care. We just want to meet a need because we said it's unacceptable that people within driving distance to this church should not have food to put on the table, especially if they've got children. And so that's where that ministry came from. When you start asking what breaks my heart, when you start asking what needs to be done around me, you're going to be confronted with a harsh reality. And here it is. The reality is whatever breaks your heart, if you're going to do something about it, it's going to cost you. And that's why a lot of people leave. They don't do it. I'm not going to do this ministry because it's going to be too costly. It's going to cost me too much. Um, that's because by nature, we said this last week, by nature, we are what? Put that up there, Justin. We are life savers. My life tends to be about me. Naturally, I want my life to be about me. I want to protect my family. I want to protect my wealth. I want to protect all of my stuff. But Jesus came when he came on the planet. He said, you're not supposed to be a life saver. You're supposed to be a life giver. He said, you want to make the world a better place? Give life to others. Do things that make the, the world a better place for others. And people walked away and they said, no, that's too much. That costs too much. I can't do that. So we finished up last week. We talked about two major things. We said, first of all, whoever devotes themselves to themselves will have nothing but themselves to show for themselves. Jesus said, if, if all you do is, is you live your life for you, when you get to the end, you'll have nothing. You'll have a big fat zero. But then we said, if you devote yourself to more than yourself, you'll have more than yourself to show for yourself, right? This is a biblical idea. These words aren't in the scripture, but this is a biblical idea. Jesus said, you must be so devoted to him that everything else pales in comparison. So devotion is very, very important in the kingdom of God. Jesus said it's a requirement. Devotion is a requirement in the kingdom of God. Here's the danger. The danger is as Christians, we have a tendency to substitute devotion, which is vertical, me and God, for action, which is horizontal. The cross has, has a vertical, it has a horizontal beam as well. And we tend to, to rather, we would rather be devoted to God than do something about God. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life. We think if we believe the right stuff, I'm good because I believe the right stuff. But in the New Testament, it says that belief is not enough. The real danger is that believers would rather believe something than do something. So maybe we should stop asking people, are you a believer? Maybe we should ask, are you a doer? We should stop asking, are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Because even the demons believe and they shudder in fear at the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe we should ask, are you a doer? Because Jesus said, if you hear his words and you don't act upon them, you're like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And as soon as the wind and the waves came, it destroyed it. He says, if you do not do something with what you hear, you'll have nothing to show for your life. The half brother of, of Jesus, James said, you show me your faith 
without actions and I'll show you my faith by my actions. He said, faith without actions is dead. Now, the job of the church is to move the ball down the field, right? This is a football. It's a black football. I should have gotten a different color because it's hard to see in here. So let's, let's say that, that New Life's job is to move this ball down the field. Now, Chandler's right there. Good job. I'm glad you took your hands out of your hoodie there. Good catch. Throw it back. Whew. We can just do this all day. Right? I used to play catch with Caleb. He'd say, Dad, let's play catch. And he'd pretend he was going out of bounds. And he'd throw it high. And he'd try to you know, tiptoe and fall out of bounds. He thought this was the coolest thing ever. You want me to do that? Maybe not. You got too, people, too many people behind you. Now, Chandler and I can do this all day. Are we, are we winning the game? Now, do you get points for just him catching? He's caught about five or six. Great job, Chandler. We're four feet apart. This is really challenging. See, the, the, the idea in football... You don't get points for how many catches you make, except in fantasy football, hence the name fantasy. It's not real. Don't get me on fantasy football, all right, or fantasy anything. I just don't understand. My son is all into fantasy sports, and, and what, what fantasy sports does is it causes you not to be just a fan for your team. It causes you to be fans for all these people that you shouldn't be fans for because they're not on your team. Anyway, don't get me on that. The job of the, of the way you win a football game is you take the football down the field and somebody on your team has to go across the goal line, right? Or you got to kick through the uprights for a field goal. But somebody has, so you don't get points for just moving the ball up and down the field. In baseball, do you get points for how many people you leave on base? The object is not just to get them on base. I mean, yes, that's part of the object, but when do you get points in baseball? When they cross home plate. In soccer, do you get points for how often somebody runs up and down the field? You get in great shape, but you don't, you don't score, you don't get credit until somebody kicks the ball in the net. All right, here's the deal. Every week when, when somebody's back in the children's area and, and they love on a child and they tell that child, you're special and Jesus loves you no matter what, God sees that and we're advancing the ball down the field eventually we're going to tell those kids about Christ enough. We believe if they hear about enough, they're going to step into the kingdom of God and we're going to celebrate. Woo! They're Christ followers. They're in the kingdom. We're not done with them because we're supposed to grow them up. Every time someone is greeted when they come in, first time they come in and someone greets them, somebody gives them a cup of coffee or, or a handshake or a hug or whatever. Every time we do that, we're advancing the ball down the field. And we think that if people come enough, they're going to accept Christ eventually. And, and we're going to get credit for that. God notices those things. But here's... Here's the deal. Most, po- most churches aren't known for giving away food. Most churches aren't known for being kind. Most churches aren't known for their great children's programs. Most p- churches aren't known for those things, right? You know what most churches are known for? Advancing their position, right? Not, not advancing the ball down, but advancing their position. Here, here's the deal. Too many Christians would rather make a point than make a difference. Oh, I'm right about this. I'm right about this. I'm right about this. You're wrong about this. You're wrong. You're going to hell because you're wrong about this. They would rather make a point than make a difference. And, and Jesus and Paul, we're going to look at something he said in just a minute. They said, if you're more interested in making a point than making a difference, you are not a good Christ follower. How's that for an intro? The apostle Paul is one of my favorite people in the New Testament. And, and Paul's deal was... Paul built a bridge from Judaism to Judaism. You know what Judaism is? That's Jews. You know what Judaism is? That's Jews. See, 
in, in the Jewish mind, there were two types of people. Jews, non-Jews. The non-Jews, they called Gentiles. Say Gentile. If you're not a Jew today, you are a Gentile. All right? This was the mindset they had. And Paul built this bridge from Jews, Judaism, to Gentiles, you, because he said, I've got to take this message around the world. So let's put that map up there, if you would, Justin. Okay, so over here on the edge, um, this is where Paul was when he accepted Christ. Paul was a very religious man. He was persecuting people who followed Jesus. He comes to Jesus over here in, in this area, all right? So what he does was, he said, it's not enough just to believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he died on the cross, that he rose again. It's not enough to believe those things. He said, I've got to do something. So Paul hops on a ship. Now, when I say ship, I use that term loosely. This is the type of thing you would not go across the Mediterranean Sea on, the, the ship that he got on. You might get on one in the Caribbean if there's like a pirate show, you know, where you get to walk the plank and maybe there's a dinner and you're never more than 100 yards from shore. That's the type of ship I'm talking about, not a cruise ship. Paul says, I've got to do something with this message that I've heard. So he sails all the way over here to these different places. He even, uh, Rome at one point, Corinth, Thessalonica, Philippi, Ephesus, Colossae, Galatia. He, he established churches and all these people for non-Jews. He said, it's not enough to believe. I've got to go tell people. I've got to do something. I've got to serve people. So he starts churches in all of these different places. And then he writes letters back to them to deal with certain uh, circumstances they're going through. Today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. And that was a letter written to this church right here in Corinth that Paul had started. Now, he goes on a couple of missionary journeys. Uh, he goes on three total. And he goes back through and he checks on these churches. But he would write letters in the meantime to deal with issues. First and second Corinthians were letters written to this church. They're collected in the New Testament now. And we study those. So today, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I already showed you a video about uh, starting in, in verse 4 with love is patient, love is kind. That's probably the most popular passage that's read in, in weddings, at least in the United States, right? What we're going to look at, though, are, are the verses that aren't read in weddings today. And if, you are a, if you're a Christian, you should be offended by these words today. If you're a non-Christian, you're going to say, this is why I'm a non-Christian, because Christians aren't doing what Paul said they should do. And a lot of non-Christians would even say, the reason I don't go to church is because the reason I'm not regular in church is because people aren't doing what Paul said. Paul has just talked about in chapter 12, he's talked about spiritual gifts. In chapter 14, he's going to come back to spiritual gifts. In chapter 13, he's going to talk to people who think that God is impressed with how much they know about religion. Now in chapter eight, verse one, he says this knowledge puffs up while love builds up. He says, you know, there's... If all you do is know, you get arrogant, and that doesn't get people in the kingdom. If you know and then you do things based on what you know, that's what gets people into the kingdom. So Paul would say, yes, devotion is very important, but you need to put some motion in your devotion in order for it to count. So the whole the message today is about promotion. You need to be in motion. You need to be doing something with what you know about God. It's not enough to believe. The demons believe. We talked about that. It's not enough to be right. You must do something with what you know. Otherwise, the otherwise is what Paul is about to address in these verses. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. He says, if I, now he really means you. He's soft-selling his argument right now. So when he says I in here, he really means you. If I, you... Speak in the tongues of men. 
Now, he's talking about languages, actual languages. In Acts chapter 2, they're talking, um, there are at least 15 different languages. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke in tongues. They spoke in languages that the people understood. So he says, if I speak in languages of men, languages I've never studied, I've never heard, I've never seen before, if I do those things, if I speak in the tongues of angels, and, and so it's like, is there an angelic la- language? You've got to be careful here because, you know, if you see somebody just talking or whatever, and you say, who's you talking to? And Shh. I'm talking to the angels. You have to be careful because we lock people up for saying things like that. So you got to be careful with that. Um, Paul is saying, let's pretend I'm so spiritual that God allows me to know any language of any person I ever come across. I can talk in languages of men. I can talk in languages of angels. If there are those, that's so cool. I'm that spiritual. But I do not have love. Love is here is the agape love. There's three different types of love in the scripture. Agape love, eros love. Eros is between husband and wife, the erotic love. And there's Philadelphia, which is the brotherly love. He's talking about agape here. Agape love is, it's not love if you don't do something. The thought does not count. You have to do something with it. He says, if I do not have love, he says, I'm this, I'm so spiritual that I'm not just a one-handed worshiper. I'm a two-handed all-in worshiper. That the type of person that you're intimidated to stand next to, you know, you move over like, I'm not sure what, what he says, I can be that spiritual, but if I don't have the type of love that makes the world a better place, look what it says. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm just a bunch of noise. How can that be, Paul? He says, well, if you don't have love, it's all about you. So wait, wait, wait. Are you saying that devotion's bad? No, 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 no. Jesus said devotion is required. Paul says what is bad is devotion if, if devotion is all you have. He says if devotion is all you have, I would question whether you have a relationship with Jesus. You see, because in the kingdom of God, devotion to God is measured by how we treat others. Ouch. Our relationship is not just vertical, it's horizontal. If all you have is prayer life and Bible study and two-handed worship, tears coming out of your eyes, that's all great. He says if that's all you have and you don't show it by loving other people, then you have nothing. It's noise. And he's just getting warmed up. Next verse. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, even if you're one of those Christians that has everything figured out, uh, there's a verse for that. You shouldn't be doing that because the Bible says that you, there's a verse for that. There's a, I, I would do this if I were in your place. In fact, I've been in your place. And there's a lot of I in there, right? A lot of I. And he says, that's not what you should be. It doesn't matter how much you know, how much you do. You're saying, wait, wait, wait. A spiritually mature person, that's, that's not enough? Well, even if you're the type of person that looks at the maps. I'm one of those. I like to look at the maps. You're saying that's not important? If that's all you have, your relationship with Christ is incomplete. It's incomplete. If you're one of those people, you know you're right about everything, but do not have love. He says, I am nothing. One of the Bible studies that we're doing right now uh, in our church is experiencing God. When I was at Southside Baptist, I was there for seven years as as the youth minister, and we did this as a church. And I'll never forget we did it as a staff. So we would meet once a week on staff meeting. We would talk about what we were learning and experiencing God. And my favorite pastor was Brother Ken. He'd been preaching for 50 years at this point. And I, Brother Ken said to us, there were four of us gathered in there, and he said, I've been a pastor for, I've been preaching for 50 years, and I'm just now learning some of the stuff that this guy talks about and experiencing God. I wish I had known these things 50 years ago. What has always stuck with me was he was humble enough to admit that to a bunch of guys that were not as, as old or mature spiritually as he was. And what else, what the other thing that, that impressed me was he always wanted to keep learning. And I thought, man, I've got to do that. I got to be like that guy. 
And so we had this incredible study. Now, there were other people in our church, and we've done this at New Life before too. Other people, though, would say, God is telling me this. And then they would come say, hey, what do you think God's telling me this? And I said, well, maybe God's telling you that, but it has to line up with scripture. Um, The way that you know that God is speaking to people in the church is when he confirms it through other people. And I'd say part of the problem is you think that God's telling you this, but God's not telling anybody else in the church this. And, And then they'd say, well, really, you need to do something about what God is telling me. And I'm like, well, God doesn't usually work like that. If God's telling you something, you're supposed to do something about it. And God will confirm that in you. If it's something the church is supposed to do, God's going to confirm that through other members of the church. Um, See, if what you're hearing from God doesn't lead you to serve others, then I would question whether it's from God. Paul says, if if that's you, if if what you hear God saying is all about you, he says, you're nothing. Uden. Is, is the Greek term. It means nothing. It means you're a big zero in the kingdom of God. And that's offensive. At least you should be offended. At least um, Paul is saying your experience is not enough. He's saying your knowledge is not enough. Your public demonstrations of devotion to God are not enough. If, if as a Christian, all you want to do is make a point and be right, but you don't want to make a difference, you are not a good Christ follower. He's not done yet. If I give all I possess to the poor... Now, this isn't percentage giving. This is not tithing, regular tithing. It's monumental giving so that everybody sees it. Everybody knows that that you have done it. When I was a senior at Baylor, um, I went to a football game. And in the middle of the of halftime, you know, they made the band stop. And they, they called this man and his wife, this older couple. They come out to, to midfield or 50-yard line. And um, they, they have this big honking check. And they're about to give a check to the, to the University of Baylor. And, and the guy's name was Floyd Casey. Do you know what they called the old field? You know what you get for $5 million if you give it to Baylor to renovate the field? You get your name on the field. So it was Floyd Casey Stadium. Now, this was a big deal. You know, we're all clapping. Ooh, yeah, yeah, he's got $5 million for college students. I didn't have $10. I didn't have five bucks to my name. Ooh, yeah, great. You gave $5 million, Floyd Casey Stadium. So for the next 31 years, it was called Floyd Casey Stadium. But on May 14th, 2016, you know what they did to Floyd Casey Stadium? They blew it up. All right, this is, this is after the implosion and they've cleared off all of this stuff around here. Well, at least, you know, Baylor University is still there. That, that was the coaches' offices and, and all that stuff. At least that's still, still there, right? Uh, nope. They knocked it down to... Now it's a parking lot. This was the parking lot for the stadium. Now it's a big honking parking lot. My question is, what do you think, what do you think the family thought about when they knocked down the stadium? I mean, I'm, no, no offense. He can, you can give and put your name on the stadium, but the stadium's not there anymore. So do you have anything to show for the $5 million that you gave? Woo! We clap for him at halftime. Now, Baylor plays in a new stadium today. What's it called? McLean Stadium. Somebody, some, y'all, y'all don't know. Y'all don't know about my alma mater. Come on. It's called McLean. Drayton McLean. The guy who has McLean Foods, he used to own the, the Houston Astros. He sold the Houston Astros a few years ago for $600 million. Drayton McLean gave the largest gift to Baylor University that's ever been given, but they never disclosed how much he gave. So I'm just a curious guy. So I looked what the second largest gift was, and the second largest gift in the history of Baylor University was $20 million. So somewhere over $20 million, Drayton McLean gave, and, and now it's McLean. It's a fabulous stadium. Don't get me wrong. I took Hannah uh, back in September. First game I got to go to, I took her. This was the coolest stadium. I wish it had been there when I was there. It's on campus. We, Floyd Casey Stadium stunk. I mean, literally, it stunk. 
And I wish they'd have had this. They have this cool thing where you can do, uh, they, they have um, tailgate parties and you can actually take a boat up to the tailgate party and they have live concerts. It is the coolest thing ever. When, when it was first built, it was the fastest internet in the United States. Awesome! So I'm not throwing rocks at, at Drayton McLean, but I'm saying if that's all you have to show for your life, is, Drayton, is McLean Stadium, is it going to last? It, is it? No. What if one of my dreams, one of my dreams is to build a new worship center out here on the parking lot where we, where the, where the pavement stops. That's where we want to build a new worship center. What if I give a million dollars to build that worship center and somebody on a committee, we don't have those by the way, somebody on a committee goes, we should name it after him. We're going to call it the Washburn Worship and World Outreach Center. The WWWOC. Because that Doug guy, he gave a million bucks. He's awesome. But I'm not content just to have my name on the new worship center. I want to build the largest orphanage in Haiti. And we're going to call it the Washburn Worship and World Outreach Center Orphanage of Southern Haiti. The WWWOCOSH. Woo! Did you hear about Doug? He's the most given man. Woo! Is it about the giver and not the receiver? I can do all of that. I can stand before God and he says, your life is a big, fat Uden. It's a big, fat zero. He says, not only do I give all of this stuff to the poor, but look at this. If I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, one translation says, if I, if I give my body to be burned or if I sell my body into slavery, it's not enough just for me to give all my money to the poor. I'm selling my body and the money they give me for me, I'm giving it to the poor. There is none like me. I'm awesome. Paul says, no, if you do not have love, you're not awesome. You're Uden. You're nothing. You can have a big fat demonstration of everything you know about the Bible. I know this and 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 I know this. You can do long winded prayers. You can give in, in these demonstrations of your love for new life and Jesus. But if you don't have love, you're Uden. You do not have a a single thing in the kingdom of God to show for it. (laughs) So here's the message from Paul, from Jesus, from James. You can do all of this stuff. But if you don't get involved in the messy lives of other people, your worship, your relationship with Christ is Uden. Nothing. It's a big fat zero. That ought to offend us. How, how can that be? Paul says, without love, it's all about you. If it's all about you, you got nothing. Come on, Doug, tone it down. I've, I've read my Bible for 29 straight days. It's January 29th. I've read my Bible 29 straight days. Woo-hoo! Keep on reading, but don't stop at reading. The purpose of you reading the Bible is not to get you into the Bible, it's to get the Bible into you. 
Hebrews, it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When God's word gets in you, it changes you, and you cannot be the same. That's the reason you read the Bible. Don't ever measure your devotion to God by what you do for you. God measures it by what you do for others. Now, I came across this church staff who rewrote 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 in modern language. And and here's what it says. Put that up there, the first one. If I raise the perfect children, maintain the perfect schedule, and maintain my ideal weight, but do not have love. Go ahead. I'm no more than a leaf blower at 6.30 on a Saturday morning. That's pretty good. Next verse. If I drive an electric car, I'm a tree hugger. I love the environment. I drive an electric car. I don't know where they think the electricity's come from, but that's beside the point. I drive an electric car. I wear Toms. Y'all know what Toms are? Toms are these really hip shoes. They're too hip for me, but they're really hip shoes. Every time you buy Tom's shoes, he donates a pair of shoes to a third world country to somebody who doesn't have shoes. So I'm hugging trees. I'm all about the environment. I'm all about social justice. When I buy shoes, some kid gets shoes. Woo! And I decline coffee that isn't fair trade. No slaves make my coffee. Next. But I do not have love. I am nothing more than an obnoxious ringtone in a crowded movie theater. Next verse. If I take my family to the Holy Land. There aren't many Christians in the Holy Land. In case you didn't know. And they only believe in the Old Testament. The Jews do. If I take my family to the Holy Land and leave New Testaments in every room along the way, but I do not have love, I am nothing more than a middle school girl's playlist. Now, I thought this was so funny. And then a girl in the early service said, hey, you want to see my playlist? I said, sure. I won't know any song on there. I knew every song because it was all Christian music. I said, oh, dang, you ruined my illustration. But you understand what they're saying, right? No matter what you do, no matter what you say, if you don't have love, you are nothing in the kingdom of God. Devotion to God is not about I did this or I didn't do this. Devotion to God is not about you at all. It's how you treat other people. So in 2017, if you make a better version of you, if all you do is make a better version of you, you're no more than a more annoying version of you. You see, the guy who wrote these verses, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, actually all of 1 Corinthians, is Paul, and he was the most religious man who's ever lived on the planet. We know that because he tells us his resume. In his resume, he said, I had the number one teacher, Gamaliel was the number one teacher in Judaism. He was the number one student of the number one teacher in Judaism. He was as religious as you can, can imagine. He was at the synagogue, perfect attendance at the synagogue every time. He was the best student tithing. Oh, he didn't just tithe. They gave 20 to 30% of their income in the Old Testament. And they made sure that everybody else knew that they did all of those things. He was the most religious man on the planet until he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus changed him. And he became such an incredible force for the kingdom of God that religious people tried to kill him to shut him up. That didn't really work because he ended up writing half of the New Testament. Dude, you're killing us. You got, you're killing our performance-based system. Paul says your devotion has to have motion. And here's where we come to a fork in the road between every other religion and Christianity. What I, what I would tell you every time is study the founder of a religion. This is how Christianity differs. Devotion to God is authenticated by your devotion, by your devotion to others or your love for others, not your love for God. 
Every other religion, you start naming them. It's all about, I have to prove how devoted I am to God, not Christianity. Christianity, you have to prove your love for God by how you treat his creations, those made in his image. When my faith is all about me and your faith is all about you, here's what we tell people. We tell people that we know it all and we're better than y'all. I'm going to try this again. It, it went over real, real bad in the first service. I saw this meme on Facebook and, and it said when, when you're driving down the road in the south and, and somebody, you know, you see somebody and they just do one finger like this, that means, hey, if they're driving down the road and they give you two fingers, that means, hey, what's up? If you're driving down the road and they give you three fingers, man, that's a big deal. That's, how's your mom and them? I went over just the same way in the first service. I thought that was funny. We know it all. We're better than y'all. The essence of religion is you people outside these walls are nasty and you act like idiots. And if you'll clean all of that crap up, then you can come join us. and It'll be so much fun. Is it any wonder people don't come to church? Right? Um, I come to church because I love Jesus, but Jesus said, my love is not real unless I show it to others. So let me just ask you this. As a Christian, I want to know this. I've got a multiple choice. There's two choices. There's A or there's B. First thing is, as a Christian, what are you most moved by? Are you most moved by God's sinless perfection? So when you think about God's holy, he's sinless. You say, God, in my depression, what encourages me is that you never sinned. By the way, you're not going to choose A. God, when, when, when I need a pick-me-up, I think about how holy you are. No. When you think about God's holiness, you, you fall on your face and you say, I'm not worthy. Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and, and he saw the cherubim flying around, and he said, Oh, woe is me. I am undone, for I'm a man of unclean lips. And, I, and he falls on his face, and he says, Oh, I'm going to be destroyed. Every time someone saw God's holiness, they fell on their face in fear. So you're not choosing A. Are you more moved by God's sacrifice on your behalf? I'm very aware of my sin when I come into the presence of God. But when I consider that a perfect God said I was worth enough that he would send his perfect son, that moves me to worship. We sing songs about that. If you want 2017 to be better, you got to do something. See, because if sinlessness had been enough, Jesus would have just stayed in heaven. He'd have gone, you know, somebody should do something about that and, and change the channel. The message of the gospel is not that God believed something, it's that God did something. If you're going to be like him, you have to do something too. No one has ever resisted the church because the church was so kind and so loving. People resist the church because we come across as we know it all and we're better than y'all. Do you bow your heads for just a moment? When you ask this question, what needs to be done around you? I want you to ask yourself, what breaks my heart? What is it that I can't stand it and I need to do something to make someone's world a better place? Because there's something that God's telling you you need to do. Father, it's my prayer that as a church, we will become the most giving church that we can become. 
that will not be about us, will be about others, will be a reflection of what you did on the cross. We'll sacrifice our lives so that others can come into the kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.